0: Yo, what's good? It's another episode of Real Sankar Hours. Real Sankar Hours. Um, We are a black leftist political podcast. Um, Marxist. Marxist. Yeah, black Marxist podcast. Giving you the real stuff, um, especially during times like these with global protests against uh, systemic racism. Um, So today, this is a free episode. Um, uh, Follow us. Subscribe. Sorry. Subscribe to us. At Patreon.com slash real sankara hours $5 a month you get uh, bonus content. Um, today we're going to be talking about a number of issues. We'll be following up on the Harper's uh, cancel culture letter and then the some election stuff and uh, coronavirus related stuff. But um, anyway, before we get in, into that, follow us at sankara Hours on Twitter. Um and like I said, to support independent black media, subscribe to www.patreon.com slash real hours. My name's Adam Hudson. Follow me at Adam Hudson Five on Twitter.
1: And this is Peter M Gunn. Follow me at mgunpeter. Peter. And yeah, it is, you know, another another week in Hellscape America. Um, I wanted to highlight something real quick that came yeah. out of Louisville last night because there's still a movement going on, even though the press is not really covering it anymore. But, uh, last night, 87 people, including, um, a couple, I, am not going to act like I know who these people are, but they are rappers slash actors. YBN Cordae, Trey, the truth, who I think actually was a friend of George Floyd. Cause George Floyd did have a rap career. Mm. Uh, real Housewives of Atlanta star, Portia Williams, Yandy Smith, my son, and Tamika Mallory, who's an activist, they were all arrested, protesting at the home of Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron. Um, what's, you know, this is ac- This is actually kind of chilling because all 87 people were hit with a Class D felony, uh, which is, the charge was intimidating a participant in a legal process Uh, this is actually pretty huge because people protest at like you know government officials houses all the time and the idea that like doing that is attempting to like influence the legal process is you know that is it's a new level of criminalization of protest and you know i don't you know we'll follow up on this as to as to what happens i mean oftentimes when they do mass arrests you know they don't actually charge they don't follow through on like on all the charges because it just would overwhelm the court system at the same time uh hitting everyone with a felony seems like something they may intend to follow through on uh this is uh it's funny you know the way they frame this but you know, it's classic uh, ruling class colonial tactic of projecting onto your adversary what it is you're doing. So the attorney general said, the stated goal of today's protests at my home was to escalate. That is not acceptable and only serves to further division and tension within our community. Justice is not achieved by trespassing on private property. It's not achieved through escalation achieved by examining the facts in an impartial and unbiased manner that is exactly what we are doing and will continue to do in this investigation um that's insane i mean first of all it's point out that they arrested 87 people for protesting and still none of the cops that killed brianna taylor uh but also yeah the idea like that protesting outside an attorney general's house is trying to influence the investigation and not just, you know, prevent it from dragging its feet is, I mean, that's really kind of outrageous that they're accusing everyone of doing this. Um, so this is, I feel like this is actually pretty major and something that, you know, like I've had to find this on like a hip hop website. Um, mm. And so
0: that actually dovetails into the follow-up i wanted to do because yeah. you know that sounds like uh an abridgment of the first amendment arguably you know the right to peacefully peacefully assemble it uh peacefully yeah. assemble um and there's yeah there's been a, a lot of um laws and legal precedents to th- that crack down on protests i think what peter's talking about it is an example of that so you know there there's been this whole debate about
1: uh, um uh, go uh, ahead i just also, also want to say uh for the for the people who are just like we'll just vote um kentucky does have a democratic governor so that's who's carrying this stuff out um and yeah they yeah i mean it was a completely peaceful protest but it was on his they're on his lawn so you know they can because they also hit him with uh disorderly conduct and Hmm. criminal trespass right um but yeah it's i mean this happens all the time and it's a it's a big part of actually holding public officials accountable so the idea that like that constitutes a felony is is quite chilling
0: um so yeah so uh, last week we talked about this this harper's letter um that was denouncing cancel culture and promoting free speech blah 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 well since then um barry weiss who well she self-canceled herself um she quit the new york times her reasoning was like i guess she didn't like people basically you know people didn't like what she had to say and people were criticizing her and she's like okay you guys are too mean i'm gonna i'm gonna Quit. I didn't
1: even want this New York Times gig anyway. I'm over it
0: and also there is a tweet that um, th- This is uh, so Sam Sachs of uh, the DC Sentinel by the way shout out to DC Sentinel uh, pr- Pretty dope uh, pretty dope uh, publication. Yeah, yeah um, if
1: you want if you want to get like daily news that uh, you know because you want to pay attention to what's going on inside Washington uh, but you don't want a bunch of all the like ruling class bullshit. The DC Sentinel and also means morning news, which is the same guys are a good place for that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Sam Sachs, um, he screenshotted this uh, tweet that was later deleted. So Thomas Chatterton Williams, he was the person who uh, co, he kind of spearheaded that Harper's letter. Anyway, he deleted this tweet, but Sam Sachs screenshotted the tweet. Um and Williams Thomas Chatterton Williams said, I'm in the middle of nowhere in France, and I literally literally ended up expelling from my house an American friend of mine uh, wait an American friend of a friend staying over who out of nowhere started ranting against Barry Weiss. I asked him to simply substantiate the ridiculous claims he was repeating and he couldn't so, okay, so like, so, uh, yeah, he was having an argument with someone about Barry Weiss, and he wound up ex- kicking the guy out of his house. So yeah. he. So be a file on the wall him. for
1: that argument. Oh my God.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, this is like, I wanted to bring up um, uh, this Chris Hedges um, article. Uh, called don't be fooled by the cancel wars cancel culture wars it's a pretty good piece i think it's actually like a pretty pretty good uh uh piece but um you know one thing he points out he also criticizes how like a lot of these people people who signed it are actually you know behind efforts to silence critical critics of israel including barry weiss by the way um which so when barry weiss was a student at columbia university um she led campaigns to basically get Arab professors uh fired fired um including joseph um i'm trying to remember his name uh joseph um not joseph Massad. anyway uh i'll I'll read the uh, i want to get his name right but i'll I'll read the um the part from uh, chris hedge's uh article where he says I find the cancel culture and its public denunciations as distasteful as those who signed the letter. But these critics are battling a monster of their own creation. The institutional and professional power of those targeted by the Harper's letter is insignificant, especially when set against that of the signatories of the Israel lobby. Those singled out for attack pose little threat to the systems of entrenched, po- of entrenched power, which signatories ironically represent and indeed are most often is victims. I suspect this is the reason for the widespread ire the letter provoked. Um so yeah, like, you know, the the Um The real threats to Yeah, Joseph Mossad, okay Oh, I, I didn't want to yeah. I didn't want to mispronounce his name like Mossad, like the Israeli Mossad, but uh-huh. Joseph Mossad. Yeah. So Joseph Mossad, he's a yeah, he's a professor at Columbia University. Um very wise tried to basically get him fired
1: that, as as saeed jelani pointed out that was the 19 year old barry weiss and barry <laughs> weiss now has grown a lot or something yeah uh, apparently
0: yeah uh and so so yeah like i i think this paragraph by um hedges hits the nail on the head because um it it is a disingenuous article because um like he said the institutional and professional powers of those targeted by the harper's letter is insignificant especially when sent against that of the signatories or the israel lobby um and and those singled out for pose a little threat to the system which yeah so it's like basically you know the people who rep, who signed that letter represent institutions of power so the people criticizing like it's a power imbalance basically it's like I mean the free speech is basically used as a weapon by elites to silence criticism of their power basically that's that's what this whole yeah. like can, all this cancel culture free speech stuff is that's that's really what it's about and um you know that's why I said this in in light of um the arrest of the protesters because you know like that like arresting like what like 80 plus protesters and giving them a felony like that's a that's that's it that has a even more chilling impact on free speech and the right to peacefully assemble than anything that the the people who signed this letter are are decrying in the letter so you know that yeah this whole like you know this complaining about free speech and cancel culture like there are far bigger threats to free speech than um you know saying that hey you shouldn't be writing
1: racist shit in the new york times like that's is a two completely different i mean really the cancel culture debate is just the political correctness debate it's the same shit people have been complaining about for like 35 years and it's just like people say dumb shit and other people are like hey stop saying dumb shit and they're like can you believe that people are trying to silence me for my opinions just because they're ignorant and and you know hostile. I can't believe this. I thought this was America and you know. And it's, and al- it's the same stuff.
0: And also like those the the institutions that hedges is talking about like they actually have the power to silence critics. But, so yeah. that's why Barry Weiss is such a good example because you know, I mean now she no longer writes for the New York Times, but like you know she's used her position and connections to basically get critics of israel fired and also literary scholar carrie nelson um he used his position at the university as a professor at the university of illinois to get um stephen salata fired for criticizing israel so you know these the, these people who are, represent these institutions they use their own power to silence critics but when people outside those institutions criticize them then it's like oh my god like how did like why are we being silenced like how dare they like this is cancel culture all these you know like 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 graduate students and undergrads who are like hey look um maybe you shouldn't be saying such transphobic shit like they don't have the kind of power that you know the university bureaucracies and legacy media institutions have like or on in addition the also the political influence of groups like APAC and in the Israel lobby. So um, yeah, this entire free speech cancel culture debate is, is incredibly, it's incredibly disingenuous. So yeah, I just I, wanted to follow up on that.
1: I, yeah. Some things to add on that is that like, anytime someone tries to cite, you know, some instance where, you know, a university professor gets fired for, you know, not towing the left hegemony line or whatever i mean i feel like 95 percent of that is just like all of academia in general is like uh you know hostile and backbiting and like (laughs) petty and people are always trying to get their enemies fired and stuff like that and Mm -hmm. cancel culture slash woke discourse is just another iteration of that or you know when people act like they're some sort of like radical left hr you know terrorists that are terrorizing you know workplaces but it really isn't like hr is not of the left or anything it's the same thing or it's like if you like you want to get rid of someone maybe because like they complain too much they talk about you know organizing their workplace or whatever and so you know you can use that as an example but it's not like there's no logic to it in the sense of like Yes, we are trying to punish people um, for, you know, saying the wrong things unless it is like, you know, straight up Nazi shit, which, uh, you know, I don't think anyone's going to argue against that, you know?
0: Yeah. Um, and also to to <clears throat> transition, um, by the way, to uh, encourage you guys to subscribe to our bonus content, um, we had a really good discussion, Peter and I, right. about... Uh, afro-pessimism in the libidinal economy so afro-pessimism like people have been talking about that within like leftist and academic and some media circles because the the theory of afro-pessimism seems um a little bit more uh, it seems more relevant um to to today and there was a review in the new yorker of um frank wilderson's uh memoir um titled uh, afro-pessimism which the timing of publication is just like you know, like mm-hmm. it, 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 it's it couldn't have come at like a more yeah. opportune time
1: because the book came out like last year I thought so it's, not, it's yeah. not new but it's just getting more attention now because
0: yeah so um I it's called uh, the argument of Afro pessimism um I a lot of people share this review but. I didn't like it, honestly, uh, basically because I-, I think a lot of times, like, critiques, like, of Afro-pessimism are based on misreadings of it. So I'll I'll read one paragraph and then kind of go from there. Uh, it-, it-, it goes, uh, Wilderson, a professor of African-American studies at the University of California, Irvine, is one of the founders of the philosophical school called Afro-pessimism, a slightly misleading bit of nomenclature. Neither the body of thought associated with the term nor Wilson's new book espouses an orientation toward the future or gives much of a damn about social fortunes. Rather, Afro-pessimism sketches a structural map of human experience. On this map, black people are integral to human society, but at all times and in all places excluded from it. They are in a state of social death, a concept that Wilson borrows from the sociologist Orlando Patterson for patterson social death describes the experience of slavery as it, ha- as it has appeared across time and space a slave is not merely an exploited person but someone robbed of his or her personhood for wilderson the state of slavery for black people is permanent every black person is always a slave and therefore a perpetual corpse buried beneath the world and stinking it up blackness is coterminous with slaveness wilderson writes and civil society as we know it requires this category of non-person to exist emancipation is a myth um and also throughout the interview like the uh the reviewer says that um um frank wilderson basically or it not as wilderson but like the the school of afro-pessimism basically like what what this review is saying is that like oh afro-pessimism basically thinks that um Uh, cross-racial solidarity is impossible because Wilderson mentions his experiences with in palestine and with the native american like there is um i think there is an experience um uh yeah when like young frank was uh i guess at an event with several native american leaders and then someone sitting near him was like we don't want you a nigger man telling us what to do and so um uh so yeah um and this is like okay so the reason why i didn't like this review because it repeats a lot of the same misreadings of afro pessimism that are basically close to straw man's of afro pessimism um because the main tenet of afro pessimism is that um structurally the world is predicated on anti-blackness like that's like the like we were talking about on our last bonus episode, one of our previous bonus episodes about like, you know, base and superstructure, right? Like base being like the means of production and all that, and then superstructure being institutions ideology. So one way to think of this is that under Afro-pessimism anti-blackness is a superstructure that structures everything else in the world, and it's not just, it's not enough to say that white supremacy is a superstructure, it's anti-blackness which is a superstructure and as like wilderson has said in interviews that um basically the category of human like the social construct of human fundamentally excludes blackness so that's why like even black people when working with solidarity with other non-whites can feel some sense of exclusion because the kind of humanity that they're reaching for fundamentally excludes blackness. Um, That's, that's basically like the central tenet of Afro pessimism. And it's, you know, looking at it from a very libidinal perspective, but it's still concerned with structuralism, which I think critics of Afro pessimism miss. Um, And here's the thing is that in interviews, like Wilderson is like, I haven't read the book, but in several interviews I've listened to Wilderson and he's made this point, like, he always mentions that other non-white people suffer under oppression, like, he's pretty clear about not uh, overlooking that, like, he's very clear about it, but what he's saying is that um, the suffering that black people experience is different than the suffering of other non-black people of color like he's trying to make a distinction that like yes native americans everybody else suffer but the suffer- the suffering that they experience has more of a coherent logic whereas the suffering that black people experience has less of a yeah, coherent a, logic it, well
1: it's a total negation is, yeah is what it is and i th- and sometimes you'll even find rhetoric or it's like what people are comp- what you know other colonized peoples are complaining about is that they're being treated like blacks basically, you know? Right. Right. Um, and yeah. Or like, you know, like the middle, you know, the term sand nigger is like a different, a variation of the original concept. Right. And that's what, you know, it gets used like in different colonial situations or whatever, but it's all variations on the original framework. Um, and yeah i mean he's also very clear that it it, it doesn't it's not a replacement of political economy cuz i mean he's honestly better read at marxism than like any of the people talking about him put together you know ourselves included but um it is also i mean there is also a political economy aspect to it in the sense that like africa is still understood by the west to Necessarily be a place of pure resource exploitation and you know permanently underdeveloped, um, because that is the only way like the Western way of life can be sustained. I mean, yeah, very directly. You know, it's it's a little more abstract in the U.S. because we've got you know we got super profits coming in from all over the place, but with Europe, I mean France especially, they're the most uh, mm-hmm. they're the most guilty. Where it is like, yeah, their way of life is directly and almost entirely subsidized by, you know, basically stealing wealth from African countries um, through, you know, either like resource extraction or just like horrendous debt deals and all that stuff. Um, So I do think, you know, when uh, Wilderson says like to end this would be the would mean the end of the world. You know, that sounds, I guess, apocalyptic, but it's important to put it in context where like everyone is saying, you know, like the entire social order is, you know, the liberal capitalist order is like in jeopardy. And so, you know, people are talking about the end of the world anyway. So then to attack Wilderson for also bringing up, you know, the, uh, few, the hor- apocalypse on the horizon is a little disingenuous to me. I think what he's talking about in terms of these structures of anti-blackness are operating alongside of and, you know, in direct relationship to the, all the other contradictions of capitalism that are piling up right now. And it's yeah. just important to understand that.
0: That's a really good point. Yeah, because this the reviewer says, uh, any system of thought that has refined itself beyond the ability to imagine kinship with the stranded guatemalan kid detained at the u.s border or with the functionally enslaved uyghur in china or again i can't get over it with the native american on whose stolen ground you live and do your business is lost in its own fog um yeah that's a that's a that's like a um that's a straw man right there i'm just gonna say it because here's there's an interview that frank wilderson did with the mail and guardian in south africa and um this is what he said because I, I often find that frank wilderson is pretty clear in his interviews about so that this is why i think like these just these crit these critiques of afro pessimism are like like are, are people actually reading what he says or like listening to what he says or are they just debating like some sort of straw man in their imagination so um wilderson says in this interview which is a very great interview by the way so i'll put it in the show notes um he says um afro pessimism is pessimistic about the emancipatory claims made by marxism pessimistic about the emancipatory claims made by non-black feminism pessimistic about the emancipatory claims post-colonialism makes pessimistic about the emancipatory claims of indigenous thought afro-pessimism is not pessimistic about black folks cap- capacity to set it off if we understand this then we can see afro-pessimism itself as a form of self-care it gives us a power to pose a question that we were heretofore denied. And the power to pose the question is the greatest power of all. It gives us an explan- explanatory power at the level of meta critique. We can take down our interlocutors by turning their assu- assumptive logic inside out. It's not integrationist, it's not Afrocentrist, but nor is Afro pessimism a refuge for other people's hopes and dreams. It gives us the power to struggle alongside people who are fighting for their sovereignty. I'm going to repeat this again because this directly, this directly contradicts what the reviewer said. It gives us the power to struggle alongside people who are fighting for their sovereignty while at the same time ridiculing the puniest of such demands. We have no sovereign cells to be restored. That's what makes us so fierce. What it says to Black youth in South Africa and what it says to Black youth in North America, what it says to Black youth in South America and in Europe, it says that nothing should shackle your imagination. You can feel joy when a police station burns. It frees our imagination to think a Black thought out loud to be neither fearful nor ashamed of our pent-up desire for the end of the world. That, I, that, first of all, I love that quote. Um, secondly... It yeah, I mean it just it puts the rest like a lot of the the misreadings I've been hearing about Afro pessimists that which is that like, oh, Afro pessimism is against solidarity. No, it's not. It's it's just asking these deeper meta questions and I think what it does is, is it gets people to rethink what solidarity actually looks like. So there's that. Um and it also does not deny the suffering of other you know non-black colonized people i think what it what it points out is that the suffering that black people face globally is is structured differently than the suffering that it like let's say native americans face because like native americans face genocide but they're not facing anti-black violence you know what i mean like that's those are two separate like and it's not to say that one is worse than the other it's just like look there's a distinction in terms of what each system of oppression actually looks like which i think that's a i think that's a fair point to make and something worth grappling with because the reason why i i i've found it has some weight afro has a weight to it is because you know even when you're doing solidarity work between like black people and the arab world like you still have to come up address the fact that the Arab world did have slavery and that there still is anti-black racism in the arab world that is not a result of western imperialism so and i think like that's like frank wilderson's encounter with the Palestinian. i think that's probably from what i'm guessing i think that's that's what sort of got him thinking about this stuff which yeah. it, it it makes sense but even then like anti-black racism in the arab world i don't think it's i don't think it's it's you can't make a one one to one comparison between that versus like anti black racism in the united states because of it's just yeah i think america's yeah. anti black racism is like a different and i think more massive structural beast than anti blackness in other parts of the world but it it i think it's is something that's worth synthesizing i think with other theories that are out there and i i could see like why it has appeal with other black millennials and black gen black zoomers so
1: anyway yeah i i mean i also want to bring up something that i he mentioned which is i think a really important point in wrapping your heads around this stuff which is when he says we have no sovereign selves to be restored because other uh cultures like in asia or even you know indigenous people here they can understand uh they understand their struggle as they had you know a civilization, a culture, and then white people encroached upon it and colonized them, and they are restoring, they're, you know, fighting them to restore that. And it's not to say that black people don't have that, but that the power, you know, the power structure is dependent on, you know, getting everyone to think that that is not the case. And it is true, you know, basically, like, in the, you know, post-Civil War, until, I mean, basically until, like, the 30s or something. Like, black people in America were essentially considered, like, stateless. Um, and they were, you know, yeah. like, literally not having, literally not understood to be as citizens. And even, you know, being denied, like, the identity requires some level of otherness, but in a context of, like, city- nation-state citizenry, it then inherently sort of makes you know, there's no, there's no sovereignty to be restored, which is, you know, I guess the idea of sovereignty is like impenetrability. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, so there, so there's, so when black, you know, black bodies are violated, I mean, it isn't seen as a violation in, in, you know, the system's eyes because there was never anything to abridge um and that is i mean for me that is why self-determination is like such an important part of the liberation struggle because it is like establishing that actual boundary i mean Mm -hmm. and it goes you know goes back to also like the african continent where you know there's an understanding that's like okay yeah there are nation states but they're not real quote unquote because they're just you know random lines drawn by colonizers and you know there isn't like a sovereignty that has to be respected. So AFRICOM can just, you know, the U S Africa command can just move in wherever it wants. And if people don't like it, like it doesn't really matter. There are no consequences for it. Whereas like, even, you know, even though like America's bases are all over the world, there still, it's like a, perhaps a popular feeling of resentment in South Korea and the middle East of like, we want, those bases off our land and, you know, there is an understanding of encroachment, but I think through the system's eyes, it's like that doesn't even enter into the calculation. It was like when it came out that soldiers had died in Niger, it was like, what are we doing in Niger? It's like, well, why wouldn't, you know, we're just kind of everywhere, right? Yeah. Yeah. It almost doesn't matter.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And also like um, he mentioned in that interview that when, when he was he was talking about like you know how imperialism impacts other colonized lands like especially in the case of native americans like the thing the sort of the thing that was um at stake was uh land like like that was the reason like why the you know europeans colonized and genocided native americans is because the europeans wanted the land and the natives were quote-unquote in the way basically whereas so that's what you say it's like oh there's like an actual coherent logic in, in terms of understanding that oppression whereas black people especially those of us who are descendants of the transatlantic slave trade like we don't really have that um relation to land like that that basically that equation cannot be applied to our situation which is that's what wilderson's trying to really trying to get at yeah is that like and it's and you can apply the same logic to like you know when the united states bombs countries overseas like oh the logic is like land and resources like that's that's sort of the logic of the oppressions that like there's a context a contest over land and resources whereas uh yeah whereas for blackness it's sort of
1: it's just like a state of affairs it's, right it's just, yeah it's, it's, it's sort like of like a natural a, state of being yeah it's then like gets repurposed in different uh you know political economic contexts
0: yeah like blackness like globally exists in and of itself so that other people can exploit it like like that's like i think that's what like when you wrap your head around afro pessimism and especially when you look at like you know the material fact of like The slave trades that impacted Africa, both the transatlantic and the Arab slave trades, and just the number of human bodies that were stolen out of Africa into other parts of the world, which is why, like, I mean, the African diaspora is probably the largest one, I think, I mean, as far as I can tell, um... And on top of that, like you know, just just more people using at the African continent is like, okay, here's this giant plot of land. Who, well, technically we all humans descended from Africa, but like, you know, we're the, the only people's only relationship right. to Africa is that like, it's a dark continent with no history, but a ton of resources. So it's up for grabs by everyone, yeah, including right. slaves.
1: No... Yeah, like that whole no sovereignty to be a bridge thing. I mean. Afrikaners, Boers, like they really understood themselves to be african somehow like like they really like that was really an argument they made it's like we are part of africa it's like no you're not you're fucking europeans you you're colonizers but no that's not how they understood themselves um right yeah.
0: yeah and i think like the the idea to you know this this is like for me, like Afro pessimism seems like a, a good way to diagnose the problem. But for me, like Pan Africanism and 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 that those kinds of politics are a way, like they're sort of like an antidote to to the to the um, ills that Afro pessimism describes. And by the way, like we had a really good uh, episode on Sylvia Winter. Uh, Wilderson is influenced by Sylvia Winter, and Sylvia Winter's main point is that like the constructs of American and man fundamentally exclude blackness so the the kind of the kind of tension that wilderson's talking about has has been posed by other black intellectuals which is again why i find some of the critiques of afro-pessimism to be weird because the the questions that afro-pessimism are grappling with are are not new in terms of the history of black intellectual thought so there is that like you know and and i think uh, a way to to negate that you know this the structural reality of anti-blackness and the social death condition to me yeah it's like some like real black self-determination um through uh pan-africanism or something of that variety so um yeah um
1: I, yeah oh, i just wanted to add on unless unless you're unless you had another point to make
0: oh i mean like i just to just to wrap up my point like um when he talks about the end of the world like in a way that's kind of freeing because it's like look the the world feels like it's ending and yeah. if the world is fundamentally predicated on blackness being structurally at the bottom then it's like well we have no stake in this current world yeah. order so we, we might have, as well we just let opportunities it... right there's opportunities to create something new um so i don't i don't think afro-pessimism is as bleak as people think i think some people do kind of have a black pill reading of afro-pessimism and use it <laughs> to justify you know total inaction. nihilism yeah inaction and nihilism but i don't think that's the main point of it i think some people just misread afro-pessimism to justify um, not doing anything and total nihilism and apathy but i don't think that's that's the main point of afro-pessimism as as a as a school of thought but yeah i like that idea that he says about like just ending the world as we know it because the world feels like it's going to end so um we might as well use it as an opportunity to create something not just better for black people but like better for everyone on this planet because that's pretty much the situation that we're at right now globally especially once you factor in climate change
1: But also, you know, if Africa wants to go for being a superpower, I mean, they can do that, too. I don't want it. just We just want whatever. (laughs) They just want what everyone else has. Uh, But I also want, and related to that, I think a good example of this whole, like, blackness, is social death type situation, like, understood today, is sort of the anxieties about overpopulation, about Africa's quote-unquote coming population boom. You see these stuff in, like, The Guardian every now and then, A lot of times it's like literally sponsored by like the Gates Foundation because they're (laughs) very concerned about Africa's population growth is all good eugenicists are. Um, And it's always like they show some graph and then they're like, you know, in 50 in 30 years, Kinshasa could have 86 million people, you know, just some sort of, you know, outlandish number that implies like this sprawling disease. Disease is a big thing. Uh, in you know africa's social death it's always like africa is full of diseases somehow even though you know greatest genetic diversity and strongest immune systems you know and also like africa you know like africa is killing it on the covid situation because they have like actually tested public health systems but a lot of that comes down to this idea that like you know africa is possibly being overpopulated right because it has to stay empty so that it can be, you know, constantly uh, extracted from. And I think I I was thought I was reminded of it because I read something that was saying that like, you know, the combined damage of, you know, the Arab and transatlantic slave trade means that like Africa is like, you know, lost like 200 million people. I would say like Africa is underpopulated by like almost a billion. I mean, it. Like the mm-hmm. if you know the levels of development that could have t- been that could have taken place if there weren't you know systematic attempts through you know famine provoked wars. I mean, you, like the apartheid South Africa just like deliberately infected people with AIDS. Uh, that's that's pretty well documented, um, and all this stuff within the intention of controlling and reducing Africa's population like that is that is a good example and you know that now that stuff is laundered through ngos and seen as like you know civilized concerns about public health but it's exactly the same dilemma where it's like africa africa's breeding is a problem and like africans are a danger to their own continent and you know europeans basically are have to step in to uh to save them um it's that's that's a really good example of how to think about this stuff because yeah africa is actually dramatically underpopulated and i mean could use a lot more people if it were just to be populated at the level of like europe
0: right right yeah and that's what the that's i think like you know to to round this off and get into the um election stuff like that's what like if you look at slavery and like the scale of, of slavery it really did it It removed, like, the, you know, so-called human capital that Africa needed to develop on its own terms. and, And be, you know, a fully developed, um, continent that, and, yeah, like, you know, when, it like, our ancestors, like, were, you know, before slavery were people who were, um, farmers, tradesmen, scholars, um, uh, Even if you look at, like, you know, in West Africa, like the Mende people, like, they're largely known for being some of the most skilled blacksmiths, so blacksmithing in in Mende societies, particularly in, like, in Mali. Um, A lot of uh, uh, parts of West Africa, like Sierra Leone, um, a lot of of those people were um, historically, like, uh, rice farmers, so the the kinds of humans you needed to basically do that you know hard labor to build up african societies and make them sustainable and also i think like you know um the slave trade also make it made it a lot more difficult for african civilizations to um st- uh stand on their own um because again it depleted all all the the human capital also people who were like former soldiers who defended the their regimes the civilizations um the the slave trade the transatlantic slave trade the arab slave trades really depleted africa of the the human labor that it needed to develop on its own terms without any kind of um outside exploitation and i think that's why you know the the fate of the african continent and the entire african diaspora are linked because of that like we were the people who before slavery would have been like doing something else to uh maintain african civilizations and and have them be self-sustaining on their own terms like africa never really got that chance because of again the massive massive scale of slavery which should again i think factor into the when people talk about slavery like that that's that's a part of it that a lot of people missed is the the fucking because all of our labor was used to build empires in europe you know like like europe and the global white man needed black labor like africa doesn't really need europe europe needs
1: africa exactly and so Uh, is america (laughs) like
0: needs africa and the entire global south to be basically it's it's perpetual sort of uh resource of labor and exploitation
1: yeah uh, yeah and even this kind of stuff goes on today like you you know like the Tom the tom shoe company or tom tom i don't remember what it's called but that shoe company that was like if you buy one shoe here we donate a pair of shoes to somebody in Africa. Uh as though Africans just don't know how to make shoes. I mean what actually happened is I don't remember the specific country. It might have been Zimbabwe, but there were there were like con- there are shoe factories in Africa that shut down because, you know, Tom Tom shoes were just flooding like <laughs> the market with free shoes. So then you know, it actually like that kind of NGO, I mean, I hate to say like handout in like dependency, but mm-hmm. I mean, there is, there is an element to it where it's like, actually like a self sufficient Africa that exists on its own terms is entirely, th- I mean, it is literally completely threatening to the Western way of life. So there are, you know, there, even if it, even if it's purposeful or quote unquote, accidental, I mean, it is, you know, you can argue about intentions, but the idea is basically always that, like, Africa is just permanently unable to govern itself and run its own affairs. And so, therefore, you know, Westerners need to step in and safeguard it.
0: Speaking of, uh, you know, do-gooder Westerners safeguarding Black interests, Joe Biden
1: uh, <laughs> nice transition.
0: Yeah. Um, thank you. So, there are a couple articles I wanted to mention because, I mean, we haven't talked about the election that much, which is good, but I do I actually do want to mention this because I think this is actually like something important, uh, something worthwhile thinking about. So, I, I saw two articles, one in USA Today and the other in Politico. The Politico article is a lot longer, but basically, what they're both saying is that. Uh, well, the headline of the political article is how young black voters could break Biden and why Democrats are worried. Um, police brutality has spurred young African-Americans to the streets, but it's far from clear they'll go to the polls. So I've, I've heard like, so this election, I mean, people, it's easy to, easy to forget that we have an election coming up given mm-hmm. all the shit that's going on. Like there's an economic depression, a pandemic and massive social unrest all in the midst of, an election in 2020 um 2020 man it's shaped up to be a good year isn't it uh, <laughs> uh i don't know if
1: good is the right word <laughs> I'm,
0: I'm i'm one one for the sa- books sarcast yeah that's i mean that sarcastically <laughs> but <laughs> um yeah it's easy to forget that there's an election going on and this is definitely yeah one for the books because on one hand i've read stories that um so apparently there is a story that uh a lot of old white people like old white boomers particularly in Florida who previously voted for Trump because coronavirus is particularly deadly for the elderly because they're they're more they're a more immunocompromised than, than people who are younger but still like there are plenty of young people who are getting ill and dying of coronavirus but um yeah
1: i want i want to point out something i saw on twitter today where i mm-hmm. guess like the new york city as nyc gov uh twitter account tweeted a graph and it showed that like rates had gone down for i guess like older people but for ages 20 to 29 and 30 to 39 they'd gone up a little and it said uh it said well first of all hilariously it said millennials and gen xers do better which like first <laughs> of all <laughs> hilarious co-optation of like do better is definitely like an av type phrase but also obviously. 30 to 39 is not Gen X but also as nope. people were pointing out it's like well we're the ones who like have to go to work physically cuz we're much more involved in the service economy mm-hmm. and so we can't work from home the way you know 40 to 60 year olds who are more likely to have office jobs can so what do you like the idea that like we're just we just don't care enough and you know it's just cuz like I mean, liberals are now. I mean, liberals love to like scold and, you know, make people not following the rules the problem because the rules are great. It's just that people don't follow them. So it's like, oh, well, if millennials just stopped going out, you know, then we wouldn't have a problem. Not like, no, like the government itself is fucking this entire thing up and everyone's just reacting to it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So there are some like, um, white older boomers, um, who, previously voted for trump but because the pandemic is really hurting them um i saw a story where like uh, a lot of old white retirees in florida are like basically turning on trump and switching to biden so that could be a liability for trump in addition to this economic depression and his his just constant fuck up of the pandemic i mean obviously like there's still gonna be like a a very very dedicated stupid chud base that will vote for trump just because they they that's what that's just what they do they just take marching orders from their dear leader so but i don't i don't know if like those chud people are enough to um carry trump into 2020 given all the other things that are going on but at the same time that doesn't i don't think that equals an automatic win for biden because i'll I'll just read from this political article um uh so apparently yeah like in it it says in late january black lives matter commissioned eight focus groups of young black voters in swing votes to drill down on a problem for democrats since barack obama left office why they weren't excited to vote by the way i'm I want to know, like, which segment of Black Lives Matter commissioned this focus group, by the way.
1: Yeah. Yeah, uh, what? Yeah. No, I don't. I, I missed how focus groups were part of the liberation struggle.
0: Right. Um. Anyway, yeah, I want to make a pin in that. Um. It goes on. One black man from Philadelphia told a pollster that his mother and grandfather had voted over the years, and all of them got nothing, so why should I participate in the same process? The focus groups were conducted before unrest swept the country in response to the killing of George Floyd at the hands of police. It also preceded the outbreak of a pandemic that's ravaged the country and an economic downturn that's left more than 40 million unemployed. At the center of all three crises all, all three crises are black Americans. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, in response, Democrats have urged African Americans to channel their frustrations, frustrations into voting. I'll stop here because, yeah, I can definitely see that, like, the liberal pundit class the political class are using the black lives matter protests as a way to channel that rage into voting for the democratic party um it continues but for younger black voters many of whom are protesting in dozens of american cities that requires a trust in a system that they believe has done little for them or their families joe biden is struck they
1: believe i love that they right. believe <laughs> that it hasn't they feel that it hasn't done
0: anything keep in mind this is politico like this is this is political yeah. so of course yes
1: yeah but that that's a common weasel word when talking about like <laughs> structural oppression it's like this group of people believes feels that the system oppresses them right uh, it's, a, it's just an emotion it's just a feeling they have it's right. not it's not based on reality right
0: uh it goes on joe biden is struggling to connect with young voters particularly those of color according to public and private polling a serious problem for the former vice president that started during the presidential primary this week's demonstrations are an inflection point for the democratic party that can engage these voters or further alienate them from the political process according to more than a dozen democratic pollsters strategists organizers and lawmakers the difference maker for Democrats in November, they said, isn't whether President Donald Trump will peel off a small proportion of black men as he's trying to do. By the way, I want to stop here because, yeah, some people, I mean, I've noticed like some sort of like <laughs> K-Hive type who, K-Hive people who are like, oh, black men are going to vote for Trump. Yeah, they're, look, there's some, there's some coons. I mean, there's, coons, there's yeah. some black men who are coons, like, you know, fucking like the, I'm... the, the Jesse Lee Peterson types, but like, they're not, they're not a size and they're not a large enough yeah. segment of the black male population to make a difference so
1: well it's like it's like the the things they cite is like you know like black women voters vote for the democratic party at like a level of 95 percent and black male voters vote at a level of 80 percent and they're like oh see this is proof that black men are like basically pro-trump and it's like really like 80 percent i feel like that's it's a pretty it's pretty on lock like, oh I don't,
0: 80 yeah. also 80 percent that's higher than like latinos and asians and whites okay like i mean look 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 at the like that's higher than like the number of like asians in general when it comes to democrats and same with latinos like there's a lot of i mean black men like are more liberal than like i would say the 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 average latino and asian voter just by numbers like if you're going by that 80 percent like when it comes to Asians and Latinos i think the the overall trend is like 60 40 in favor of, of democrats and i'm and i'm sure if you break it down by gender like it's 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 around there so black people in general are still pr- pretty pro democrat so yeah like 95 compared to 80 like that's still like yeah even 80 is like on lock and it's also average too like historically yeah. Black people have voted Democrat by a margin of like 80 20 or like 85 15. Um, it's just I think Donald Trump like it makes just pisses more people off, but yeah, 80 20 is like a that's an average thing, but anyway, like the article goes on, um. The difference maker for Democrats in November, they said, isn't whether President Donald Trump will peel off a small proportion of black men as he's trying to do. By the way, I don't think he'll be successful at that. Um, But whether Biden can persuade young black voters in battleground states not not to sit out at the election. Yeah, that's the key thing right there. The key thing is not whether Donald Trump can peel off a small proportion of black men as he's trying to do. Because, again, like, the black men who, like, the Kanye West types, the Jesse Lee Peterson's, Mm -hmm. like, these guys are just, like, just straight-up fucking fools, these losers, just idiots, just pure fucking idiots. Yeah, like, they happen to be black men, and you know what? Yeah, they're fucking losers, they're fucking idiots, they're fucking dumbasses who just, they just want to just buck dance for white people all the time. Yeah, they exist. The thing is, those people, they're not, like, they're not a, um sizable enough number where it's going to make a difference in the election i think that needs to be made clear but the real thing is uh is is just apathy amongst young black people especially black and i think it, it does matter for black men because in a sense that like the crime bill that joe biden authored was under the specter of like the fear of the black male criminal so I think, like, yeah. that's what's animating. Yeah, who would, that's... Who, who would
1: have <laughs> thought that, you know, the people targeted as super predators would be reticent to vote for the guy, you know, responsible for the bill itself. Yeah. But I think I think a lot of what this is, is them just priming the pump for if they lose, they can blame black people again, like they tried to do in 2016. Yeah. I mean, they run. It's like you run shitty candidates and then you get and then you're like, well, how can you know? It's like. Well, the problem is we just haven't polished this turd enough. It's like, no, you can't. It's like, well, what what can we do to polish this turd? It's like nothing. You can't. Like, it, it's, it's a turd, you know? Yeah. Uh, like, there's nothing you can do to get people excited about voting for this, you know. Uh, I'm not even, I can't even think of, you know, a properly uh, colorful description of Biden at this point. It's just so disgusting and sad
0: um it, it's this article also goes on that uh coronel belcher a democratic pollster who worked on obama's campaigns called the protests an opportunity to reconnect and re-engage this cynical and disillusioned segment of the electorate yeah that right there again is showing that democratic operatives in the democratic party are going to use black lives matter as a way to channel and reinvigorate the black vote for the democrats which you know even if we vote democrat we're still going to get the same shit yeah especially
1: but (laughs) yeah and they're going to do that like almost certainly like running a prosecutor as vp you know and it's just like like it's it's the same thing where it's like oh you really just think we're all idiots is what it is right you know yeah you really just think that like oh yeah we'll just vote for these you know that people will just get excited about something you know it's when it's always been like fear and intimidation and like you know the fear of scolding and you know that they trotted out angela davis again you know to do this same like oh well if angela davis is gonna vote for biden then what do you know and it's like i mean look no no disrespect to angela davis obviously but like Kinda of the reason she's still allowed to have a career. I mean, especially after all she's been through, is because, you know, on in moments like these she can still like toe the line. And yeah. it's like mm-hmm. Yeah, it's you know, it's like I don't know. I mean, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. It doesn't really matter what like voters do as much as it is about like the ruling class. Like all these voter demographic stuff is really just representations of the ruling class the ruling political class's ability to control political outcomes and that's like what a political party and machine is about and so you know it's really just about getting all of them lined up in a coherent narrative and you know they may be able to do that or biden may just like collapse in the middle of august and you know that not be able to talk for three months and you know there's uh you know the plan goes belly up i mean that's really what it boils down to i mean this is like like the whole discourse about like should i vote or should i not i mean vote for whoever you want to vote as long as it's not trump obviously but like it doesn't i mean we're all it doesn't really matter it no does not, it doesn't really matter that's not that's not how these decisions get made
0: yeah and uh, to continue so like the article also says but he warned that for democrats young black men were the most problematic for the party since that group's par- <laughs> problematic <laughs> since that's that very problematic since that group's participation dropped the most from two, 2012 to 2016 but there's also ample <laughs> opportunity for democrats to screw this up bilcher said um democratic margins oh, among- that is
1: that's is what they do best
0: yep yeah they're really good at that democrats are really good at fucking things up and shooting themselves in the foot um, Democratic margins among African Americans dropped three percentage points from 2016 to 2018, according to data from the Democratic data firm Catalyst. The slip sparked some speculation among Democrats that Trump and the GOP might be gaining traction among non-white voters, but Catalyst, as well as several Democratic pollsters, said the decline wasn't surprising because midterm electorates tended to tilt conservative and maintain that support and maintain that support for Democrats among Black voters has remained steady um biden it says biden will no doubt win a large majority of black voters at least nine and ten of whom have voted democrat for voted for democrats in recent elections democratic pollsters said the party should worry less about trump winning over black men and more about those who are ambivalent about biden and the party now on that part i do think that they're right and i do think that's something i said before about the sanders campaign that um uh you, you know, because, like, the Sanders campaign is somebody's, like, white, so-stem people, whatever, were like, Ugh, black. we lost black people because of Joe, Jim Clyburn in South Carolina, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, no, like, what happened is that the people who are out in the streets right now should should have been foot soldiers for the Sanders campaign. Like, they, they really should... Like, if Sanders were smart, um, and I'm not trying to, you know, stand for Sanders, but if if he were smart, he would have stayed in the election, kept running and, you know, cause he dropped out right during the middle of a fucking pandemic when he was a candidate put pushing for single pair of healthcare. So he could have used that opportunity to push for a solution that clear, clearly, clearly would have fucking helped everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and also with these protests happening, his insurgent campaign would have been well placed to get to channel that energy into a real like social democratic uh quote unquote revolution but i mean like the sanders campaign totally fucked this up by dropping out and also by not taking black voters seriously i think i really think the yeah. sanders campaign should have t- taken to taken black voters yeah. more seriously I mean, and reached out to the people who again that this article talking about is that like hey this system sucks and we're just not going to vote in vote. You know, we're not going to participate. Those are the people who should who should have been reached out to by the Sanders campaign. But because, again, Sanders of his own volition dropped the fuck out. Um, and also because, you know, a, a segment of the white so stem left is like, you know they they would rather complain about woke culture than supporting an actual like grassroots black led working class revolution against systemic racism um and then now we have biden because the liberal elite the the sort of the the elite within the democratic party were so fucking hell bent on getting sanders out that they were willing to go with the fucking fossil like biden and then they're wondering like huh i wonder why oh, yeah. biden who has a career of working with segregationists and who was the main architect of a mass incarceration system which largely targeted black men um i wonder why like they're not voting hmm
1: why they're not why they're not i mean they, I they will still vote they're just not enthusiastic about it right i which is like nuts it's like well we just need people. like how do you be excited about fucking Bi- joe biden i it's, it's beyond me
0: especially during a time when like you know people's especially the mood of black people of black america is on police violence
1: yeah like Anna, Anna's, that,
0: Anna's, that's where the pulse yeah. is at and how is but like biden is like he's not even just out of touch like he's the reason why for it's the part pulse, of the problem he's part of the problem you know like it's just i mean yeah you're right it doesn't matter but it i think like this story clearly shows like you know one how the democratic party is going to use is trying to use these protests to remain relevant but it seems like i think there's enough young black people who are just like you know we're we're not paying it we're not like i think there's enough young black people who um are up to the democratic party cynicism and are, are not going to buy it and i think like that's what that's what these articles really reveal is that young black people and especially young black men are just like, you know what? Fuck this whole system. And that's what Democrats are scared of. Like, cause the the Democrats, their relationship to black people is looking at black people as like a well-trained dog that they have under control. That's really what the Democrats do to the, to black people.
1: That's what it's been doing for 200 years. Yeah.
0: And now like, you know that so-called dog that they thought they had trained is like, you know what? Fuck you. We're gonna go our own direction, and the Democrats can't control it. And this is what they're up against. Yeah. And you know what? Like, good. I'm glad that I'm glad that there are enough Black people who are basically saying to the Democrats, you know what? Kiss our ass. Like, fuck you. Like, we're not gonna. If you're gonna run somebody, especially Joe Biden, who was like, well, if you don't vote for me, you ain't Black. Okay, well, we're gonna show you who's really Black, motherfucker. <laughs> We'll show you who's yeah. really fucking black, piece of shit. If he's really, if he's really gonna say some fucking shit like that, like yeah, I'll show you who's really black. Who's black now? You know, like we're protesting against the police. Like, what's what's blacker than that, huh? What what the fuck is Biden got to say about that shit? Him and his fucking cronies. They have nothing. They have nothing to fucking say. Um, it, but You're yeah, I like- I I like it. I like it. I like, I like yeah. that, I like that, you know, young black people are like, you know, like, why, why should we vote for Democrats this this round? Like, fuck, fuck you. Like, yeah. like, go, like, cause the Democrats, they, they probably could win, but like, you know, don't come looking at black people's like, we're going to save you. Cause like, no, we're not going to fucking save you without anything in return. You know, we're not, we're not some fucking well-trained dog that you got on a leash. Like, no, like we have our own direction. We have, we have our own brain. We have our own mind. We have our own, ad- we have our own agenda. We have our own interests, and if you're not going to satisfy those interests, you know, what? fuck you.
1: <laughs>
0: Get the fuck out of here.
1: Bitch. I drop.
0: Um, um I want to. Uh, before we end, I do, I do want to, uh, I do want to mention that. Um, apparently, Wall Street is no longer betting on Trump. So, yeah, I, th- I think that's going to make more of a difference. Wall Street's backing yeah, away from Trump. That,
1: that's yeah, that's what I was saying. It's, it's like getting all the ruling class in line, and if. If finance capital bails on him, I mean he's he's done. Yeah. And I, I think like you know, whatever weird shit they're trying to do to the economy now is just like I mean Biden will keep Biden will keep the the duct tape and popsicle sticks, you know, <laughs> holding for a little while longer <laughs> while now they're like just, you know, peeling off one by one and that I mean, all they have to do is, you know, re- keep it going just a little bit forward. It's it you know it's like yeah it's biden biden wall is you know well at least has the you know idea in people's minds that like the system can go back to its normal functioning it's not really whatever that means is a completely different question and also like it's dependent on not understanding actually existing joe biden but you know they can they can do uh they can do dummy. Pre- I mean, they've been doing dummy president now, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not with very good results. But, you know, Democrats are more competent at dummy president. Let's probably. Yeah. Right? Or at least or at the very least, they'll see it as because a lot of this stuff is competitive. It's like, oh, no, well, we actually know how to do dummy president, you know, unlike the Republicans. <laughs> yeah. Losers.
0: Uh, so apparently, yeah, like this is from Axios. And it says like a Citigroup poll of 100 fund managers released last week. Uh, found that 62% expect a Biden win compared to 70% who expected a Trump victory in the same survey in December. And this uh, came out, when, when did this come out? I think it's like a week or two ago or something. Um, and it said, like, yeah, why it matters. says, Wall Street had its chips on a Donald Trump win until recently, even in the midst of the coronavirus-induced recession and Biden's rise in the polls. The shift is a latest indicator of how quickly the political and business worlds have aligned in the view that President Trump is unlikely to win a second term as COVID-19 infection numbers have spiked again and the economy looks to be stalling. Um it also mentions betting, mar- betting markets have turned decisive- decisively toward an expected victory for Joe Biden in November and asset managers at major investment banks are preparing not only for a Biden win but potentially a democratic sweep of the Senate and House too, and I think yeah, beyond like you know Democrats wanting to blame young Black people or young Black men, uh, or or whatever. Like the real thing that's going to matter is like yeah, where Wall Street is headed and where fine the interest yeah. of finance capital. And I think what's clear is that finance capital is looking at Trump as a clear liability, and they it from this Axios uh newsletter. It shows that, yeah, like, finance capital is like, hey, look, we're going to go for Biden because th- they seem to have more confidence that he'll maintain stability in the system uh, versus Trump. Because Trump seems to be – yeah, he – Trump is such a fuck-up that, like, finance capital is like, okay, you know what? You've had your run. You've had your turn. Yeah, we're not going to – Yeah.
1: We're, this is – yeah. They are <laughs> – because, you know, the dollar may collapse anytime soon. and Right. <laughs> you know, like, they want – they want – they may understand that American hegemony is on the decline, but they want that. But that could take like a hundred years, and not five. Right? And with Trump, it may only take five. Yeah. So uh, they want it. They want to push it out.
0: By the way, this news, this this article from Axios, uh, I'm reading from is from July 7th, where we are recording this on July 15th. So yeah, this it's pretty recent. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Uh. Yeah. We're at a minute twelve. Uh. An, not a an minute. Hour 12. An hour twelve um yeah I think we can
1: wrap up we can talk about the schools like you know because that's not gonna go away we can yeah talk about that next week or something
0: yeah we'll talk yeah that yeah we'll put that on the agenda for um yeah schools uh just like a heads up yeah like um schools are debating whether or not to reopen um as someone who works in community college uh I know I'll be doing my work largely, well, all of it through online, um, but it seems like there's a fight within school districts on whether to reopen or do full distance learning. I know um, a few school districts in California, I think, like including Los Angeles, are going for full-on distance learning, whereas Orange County announced that they're going to open up the schools with no like protections and
1: shit oh, so of cor- o- oc baby of g- course
0: good old fucking oc yeah the the i, I want to say oc is like the florida of california but i mean like oc just has like a lot more money than this it's, it's o- oc is orange county is just like ugh. i don't I have mean, anything it has nice
1: core as- elements too but it is just it is all the conservatives in california
0: right yeah exactly yeah yeah the, all, all the conservatives in california are concentrated in orange county And yeah, there's plenty of poor people in OC who are victims of that bullshit. Um, Anyway, yeah, so uh, stay tuned for um, our...
1: Whatever else 2020 has to offer. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. uh, Anyway, uh, yeah. Well, it feels like the end of the world, but you know what? That's an opportunity to make a better world.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what we're talking about yep end of, the, end of the world means end of you know structural anti-blackness too so i don't i'm not an accelerationist but i'm also not a decelerationist. accelerationist you know <laughs> we don't we don't have we, neither of us can control the car in any way right now that's so yeah we just we're trying to we're trying to actually you know build something that is capable of controlling the car Mm-hmm. So it's not about accelerating or decelerating. It's it's just understanding these things as they develop.
0: Yep. Anyway, yeah, that's um that's it for this episode. Real Sankara hours. Again, um if you like this episode, it's a free episode. If you want more uh bonus content where we do theory readings and uh extra interviews. Um and yeah, like like I said earlier, uh, at the beginning of the episode, um uh, we did do a, a more extensive Take on Afro pessimism and libidinal economy. So, if you were interested in our thoughts that we had today about Afro pessimism, um, check out that bonus episode and other bonus content. slash um, real sankara hours. Again, that's slash <laughs> real sankara hours. Five dollars a month, you get um, bonus content and also support Resistance Noir, the larger black resistance media network that we are a part of um i'm gonna try to get some of the folks from from resistance to law on here so we yeah. can talk more about
1: um yeah because they're all really they are they're all very intelligent people
0: yeah they are our comrades in the struggle so st- yeah stay tuned for that we're gonna have an episode on that coming up hopefully within a week or uh, hopefully within two weeks i'm we'll, we'll try to get someone on Anyway, yeah, uh follow us at Suncar Hours on Twitter. Um and yeah, just you know, stay healthy. Um this this covid shit is is pretty serious. So yeah, please stay healthy and get tested. Wear a mask, um uh, wash your hands, hand sanitizer, all that shit. Um yeah, and keep the faith
1: and stay dangerous. Peace. See ya.